When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of a heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We read Revelation in the season of Advent to learn about the second coming of Christ which this book describes in great detail, although the details are part of a vision. It's always hard to get uh, details that we need for timelines and things like that from visions. I don't know if you have dreams or you remember your dreams, but dreams are probably similar to visions, although there is a a difference, um, I think, in how people experience those for the most part, but generally speaking, dreams don't really have the same kind of timeline that a lot of uh, other events in our life or the way we think about them does. Um, Dreams are a mishmash of a lot of things, Uh, depending on your theory of dreams, which no one can prove or disprove. Dreams are either the processing of your experiences throughout your life or throughout your day, um, or they are messages from God or someone else. Um, 
to you or something, a third choice. I don't know what the other choices are, but um, the fact that dreams are hard to kind of put into a linear format to describe, we usually describe them like, hey, I, you know, I was at the mall and someone was running and through the mall. And, and then you're like, no, but actually I was at the mall on another planet not on this planet. <laughs> like we, we kind of remember details about dreams like as we are going and we cycle back even in the telling of them to like details that are sort of added in that we remember. Um, and the book of Revelation is a vision, not a dream, but there is a, a kind of timelessness to it or we're not really sure if the beginning of Revelation is happens before the end of Revelation. It does seem like as we get to these later chapters, there is a sequence of events that lead up to this great white throne um, judgment that um, that comes to all, not just the wicked, but everybody. Um, this this um, judgment that comes at the end of the world, the thousand years of the release of Satan and comes back on the earth, and then this great white throne is there. Um, and from his presence, the one who sits on it, earth and heaven fled away. All the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And what, what happens when all the dead, small and great, stand before the throne? Well, they open a bunch of books. Um, Revelation, I think, I don't know if you, how do you prove this or statistically, but quotes the Old Testament either directly or indirectly more than any other New Testament book. Pretty much every on every page when it says something or part of the vision is something that is found in the, in the Old Testament. Famously, we remember Moses who asks God not to blot him out of your book, the book of life. Um, the book of life is a book that um, is mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but particularly here. Um, and it says everybody is judged according to their works. Now, how do we square this with our belief as Christians that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose, rose again from the dead? Um, how do we square this with New Testament texts that tell us that uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, as Galatians says. And on that text, we have so much of the Reformation's teaching about salvation, of not being good works that you can do. Um, uh, you don't go to heaven because you do good things. And the good things that medieval Christians um, were obsessed with were things like um, the things that related to the seven sacraments, those were considered the good works. And then added to those were things that you did in the form of penance, like going to view relics, going on pilgrimages, and other things that were seen as good works that got you or your loved ones time off of purgatory or hell, judgment. Um, so the medieval world was obsessed with good works, um, and when Martin Luther and other Eng and the English reformers and other Swiss and French reformers like John Calvin came along, they 
made it very clear that these works that you do, that the church tells you to do, um, don't really amount to anything in God's sight, especially if your heart is not in the right place. Um, Martin Luther and others were not saying that you shouldn't help little old ladies cross the street or you shouldn't, um, you know, help your neighbor's dog when the neighbor's dog is suffering or something like that, those kind of good works. Um, everybody has always agreed that those are good things to do. It was these works of, often called works of super, superrogation, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, that were things that the church had designated for in the penitential system that often involved money that would get you time off of hell and give you favor with God, that the saints had built up a big treasure trove of favor, God's grace, and you could tap into that if you got through the right saint and it poured into your account. And that, would, that was kind of how the penitential system for a lot of people in the Middle Ages in Europe worked. And the Reformation changed that. The Reformation said, you're, but they had these texts like these in Revelation 20 that were kind of hard to figure out because if we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I think that's in Ephesians or Philippians or Romans, I can't remember. That's Paul writing. Um, that our salvation is not of works. But here, all the dead are judged based on works, the works that they do. And then it goes even further. The sea gives up its dead. The death in Hades gave up the dead that are in them. All are judged according to what they had done. Now, we square this, since this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, it's not revelations, although if you say that, I won't correct you. Um, it's revelation. Revelation, um, another word for revelation is apocalypse. In the Greek, that's the title of the book. Um, apocalypse really just means revealing, like the word revelation means. Kind of like a revelation that you were adopted or something, you know, what a revelation at the family Christmas dinner. Um, it's a revealing of information that was unknown prior to that moment and now has been revealed, re revealed revelation. Um, it doesn't always involve doom and gloom and destruction, although in the book of Revelation, in the New Testament, there is a lot of gloom and destruction. The four horsemen of the apocalypse come riding in. Um, but we square this as Christians with the rest of Scripture. Certainly the book of life conversation that Moses has with God um, is important to note that your place in the book of life is negotiable with God. <laughs> Moses tells us that, that, um, that this is an ongoing conversation between God and humanity that we don't have to worry about, um, that we don't have to... Um, think of as some kind of arbitrary process that God has cooked up at the last minute, but ultimately is a way of reassuring us that we are loved by God. That's what the book of life is for. Like a, like a reservation, when you've made the reservation, if God's made, God has made the reservation for you in that book of life, they open the book and there you are in that book. Um, but the book, this book of life has these works in it. 
some have posited that there's different books. There's a book of life that you're written in when you're saved by Jesus, and that never changes. Then there's the book of works that it's talking about here. But it seems to me that these are the same, all one and the same books. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. Um, when we get to Jesus' Olivet Discourse, his final apocalyptic sermon, where he says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did signs and wonders in your name. Uh, we did all these good things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Um, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And um, this, um, this very harsh word from Jesus is, seems to be paralleling this event in Revelation. Um, that, um, that the kind of works that is talked about in Revelation and the kind of works that Jesus is talking about are not public displays of religious piety. That is not the work that saves us. They are not, um, they, they are not the kind of things that get a lot of applause. But ultimately, the kind of stuff that Jesus says is why he will have fellowship with his followers in heaven. And that is, um, I'm trying to find the actual reference to it, where they said, where he says, I was naked and you didn't give me any clothing. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't come and help me. I was, um, he goes down this list of things that he was and nobody cared about him. And they say, Jesus, when did we see you sick or poor or naked? And he says, um, when you've seen the least of these, my brothers in these states, then you've seen me in that state. So the Christian teaching that we care for people as if they are Jesus, because they might be, is something that's at the heart of the works that we do. These are the kind of works that Jesus is talking about in Matthew and that Jesus is talking about from his th great white throne in the book of Revelation. It's the works of mercy, the works of love for Jesus that we see in, in, in other people, that we see someone in need and we say, that's Jesus. And if Jesus were in need, I would certainly help him. And why wouldn't I help um, one of his siblings, one of his, um, one of his people that is in need that I encounter? Um, this is the, the kind of works that are being talked about. The basis of the judgment in Matthew and the basis of the judgment here are on these kinds of works, not on um, sort of good things that we do to look good. And there's plenty of those things in life. And those are good things. I mean, you know, there's a higher chance of me putting the shopping cart in the proper place the more people are around. You know, um, those are good public goods. Um, that we do good deeds of being responsible and putting the shopping cart back in the right place. Um, those are certainly good for the good order of society. When we get in a line at customer service to return a package, we stand in line six feet apart, very orderly, even though nobody tells us to do that. That's just good order. We go to an airport and all the chaos and scuffle and people running around. We try to follow the orders, stay in line, go on the plane when we're supposed to, you know, try not to disrupt the flow of, 
I still think they should board planes like they do in the army with, you know, from the back to the front, but that's just, that's another story. But um, those are good things, but the kind of good works that are in this book are these very, very personal to Jesus works, the works of mercy that are ultimately connected to the shivering Jesus, to the naked Jesus, to the sick Jesus, to the imprisoned Jesus, the hungry Jesus. These are the works that are in this book because it's the parallel to that text in Matthew, I believe. Um, And so this is what Jesus always said that his followers didn't have to do anything. He always said that his followers would do things. They would do amazing things. When he gets to the part of um, striking on the right cheek and turn to him your left, if someone takes your cloak, give him your tunic also. Someone asks you to walk one mile, walk with them the second mile. Those kind of things that he says for his followers to do, when I read the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, I read it like my followers are going to do things like this that are going to seem absurd and a little crazy and a little just unbelievable that they would do such a thing. But these are not commands in the, in the sense of, if you don't do this, you're going to get in trouble. These are commands that come from the inside of us that are motivated by love. Jesus said to his followers, the greatest commandment I have for you is that you love one another. And that kind of love is the kind of works that he's talking about, the works of love that are ultimately done for Jesus, for no credit from anybody else. And um, this is kind of hard to do um, for, for me. And it is not something we ultimately do. These are not works we do. These are works that flow from the love that is in our hearts from Jesus. Um, ultimately, they are not things that we do. Because ultimately, it's not things that we do that make us who we are or save us or make God love us or anything like that. It is ultimately the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, through, with the Holy Spirit living inside us, um, that, uh, that the works flow from. If you've ever met somebody that had a lot of love and shared that love, um, and all of you have done that for me and so many others, um, you know that, that if you compliment somebody on that, they get real awkward usually, because ultimately people that are good at loving and caring know that that love doesn't flow from them. It flows from God. And whatever good thing you, that someone picked up in us or found in us or saw in us, that ultimately comes from God. Now, I know it comes from us too. God always works through people. Um, but ultimately, you kind of know that that wind of the Holy Spirit that blows through us is from God. That is the wind of God. That inspiration, which is the word... come comes from the word to breathe. Um, that word, that breath of God that makes us living creatures, living souls that can love, ultimately comes from God and not from us. And that's why it's a little awkward to be complimented for loving because um, ultimately it's, um, the love comes from God and goes back to God. And that circle of love that the Trinity had from before time and it was born, before time was created, Um, that trinity of love is now expanded to us and we are included in that love and we participate in that love um, with each other and with God all the time. And that's what's in the book of life, this book that we are in. And then this new heaven, this new creation happens 
Um, there's this loud voice. Um, God is dwelling with mortals. This is an echo of the incarnation. But now, not just Jesus has come to earth and been born in the manger, but the whole city of Jerusalem is being reborn um, like a bride adorned for her husband. Um, this comes, this city comes down to earth and is part of this new renewal of the earth. The visions of heaven in the Bible um, are always about the earth. They're about kind of living a really good life here. And some take that as being that the best thing you can, closest thing you can get to heaven is right here on earth. So you might as well find a way to do that. Or ultimately, that the renewal of all creation is going to happen someday. That's what Advent season witnesses to, that the renewal of all creation is happening. And we live in the time of labor pains and groaning. The whole creation groans for this event, but it will happen. And the renewal of all creation will happen. And we're not going to live in some sci-fi fantasy world. We're ultimately going to live with God in the world that God made for humans from way back when. And this, this last part, um, which Barbara read so well, that he will wipe every tear from our eyes, um, that those who have overcome um, are with Jesus, and he wipes every tear from our eyes. Um, there is no more crying or pain. And I've always wondered about this, because it seems like when we're in heaven, we'll actually know more about everything um, than we know now, even about ourselves, about our lives, about other people and everything. Um, and wouldn't that cause a lot more pain? <laughs> um, the more you know about everything. I've always wondered, like, and, you know, there's a couple ways to read this, that the tears that are wiped away from the eyes of people are that are the tears of realization when we think about all that we know now that we are finally with God. Um, tears of joy, perhaps, but it seems crying and pain and mourning are the, are the themes here. The fact that death will die, the fact that death will be defeated, is ultimately the quest of all of, of salvation history in the Bible. Um, death is such a constant state for us. It is something we become aware of at a very early age. And most of our life choices are kind of built around the knowledge of our own death. Even our, um, our pace of life is often determined by thoughts of how much time we have left. Even in our 20s and teens, we can become obsessed with getting things accomplished quickly like having babies, getting married, getting a job, getting a career, um, in ways that, looking back now, seem just wild and almost like too rushed. But ultimately, that fear that will run out of time is inside of every human being. And it, it determines so much of our impulsive choices, so much, so much of, our, um, of our reasons for doing things. And the fact that that could be taken away um, that, that would change the way humans function on so many levels. Um, so that feeling that we have to rush everything would go away. 
You never have to worry about being late again or anything like that. Um, it, it's almost unthinkable that we could be in a place, in a state, where there was no more death, where we didn't lose anybody anymore in that way. And to me, that ultimately is why the tears are dried from their eyes and there's no more mourning and crying and pain. Um, ultimately, there is union with God and with each other. That is the communion of heaven that this vision and revelation witnesses to. Our little communions here on earth are a shadow of that. They are just a dim reflection of that, but they're still the same thing. When you are in communion with each other and with God, you are in that heavenly realm. It is, the, it is through a glass darkly, though. It is dimly through um, a, a thick window that we see that kind of communion here and now. But we do get to glimpse it here, and we get, do get to experience it. Um, and ultimately, we will experience it forever. And it is the most wonderful thing in the whole world to be in communion with each other and to be in communion with God. It's also a very fragile thing um, that we have to cultivate and nurture and ultimately trust God to take care of because God is ultimately the source of all that is good in our community, in our communion, because God is there. And that is why heaven is a good place to be, um, because God is there. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.